From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. John Hickenlooper and Andrew Romanoff face off in their last debate before the primary. There's a reason why the Republicans right now are spending a million and a half or two million dollars a week attacking me. It's because they don't want to run against me. They want to run against Andrew. When I win this seat, it will be in spite of the opposition of my own party leadership in Washington and instead because of the support we're getting all across Colorado. We got the candidates to reflect on their own records when it comes to racial equity. I recognize I have not done enough. Plus why they're running in the first place. At a certain point, you have to decide whether you're going to be content to sit on the sidelines or you want to you want to get in the ring and be part of the change. Plus climate change, health care, and reviving the economy in the midst of a pandemic. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. The two Democrats who want to be Colorado's next U.S. senator faced off in person Tuesday night, their final debate before this month's primary, pitting former Governor John Hickenlooper against former Speaker of the Colorado House Andrew Romanoff. One of them will face Republican incumbent Cory Gardner, and the outcome in Colorado come November could decide the balance of power in Washington. CPR News partnered with Denver 7, the Denver Post, and the University of Denver to produce this debate. Each candidate got 60 seconds to answer a question, 30 seconds for any follow-ups. I was on the panel asking questions along with Denver Post political reporter Justin Wingerter. Denver 7 anchor Ann Trujillo moderated, and what you'll hear today has been edited for time, but none of the candidates' answers were modified. All right, we know Colorado's unemployment rate for April was 11.3%. We're waiting for new numbers on Friday. The pandemic isn't over. Uh, We have no vaccine. There's a concern a second wave could be coming this fall. So as senator, how will you bring our state and our country back to broad prosperity? And Governor Hickenlooper, we'll start with you. Well, thanks so much for having us and hosting this debate. Uh, And certainly, I think it's important to first recognize that our essential workers and our first responders Uh, and our government, I mean, Governor Polis, have really done a a great job. But we are going to have serious repercussions from the fact that, you know, President Trump poo-pooed this, and we were unprepared. We didn't have uh, capacity for for testing. Uh, We didn't have tracing capacity. We didn't have protective equipment. So we've got to have all of that if we're going to reopen our economy. But we've also got to make sure that we are uh, providing resources to the truly small businesses, because that's really what drives our economy here in Colorado and uh, across the country. And that small business access to capital uh, was not in the first CARES Act. And we've got to make sure that that is there. So first, we've got to make sure we can measure and stop any future outbreak of the virus. Uh, But then also we've got to make sure that small businesses get access to capital and resources. Thank you. Now, uh, same question to you, Mr. Romanoff. How will you bring our state and our country back to broad prosperity? One of the reasons that small businesses don't have access to the loans they need uh, and the Paycheck Protection Program is because a lot of those benefits are concentrated at the very top. The nation's biggest businesses and biggest banks have an unholy alliance that leaves a lot of folks left holding the bag. So what I believe we ought to do is not only accelerate the development of a vaccine and a program of testing and tracing and isolation and treatment, but we've got to make sure that when Congress provides relief, it aims those benefits at those of us in the middle and at the bottom, the struggling Americans and small businesses who are just trying to make ends meet and weather this storm. One of the other lessons we can draw from this pandemic is that my health depends on yours. 
We had to fight with all our might to provide a system of universal health care instead of allowing the broken model subsidized by the insurance industry and the politicians on its payroll to leave a quarter of the population uninsured or underinsured. That was never a great idea. During a pandemic, it's a disaster. All right, thank you both gentlemen. We wanna to get to questions from our panelists, so we're going to begin now with Ryan Warner. Thanks, Anne. Uh, it occurs to me, gentlemen, that the policies we're gonna hear about tonight may be pipe dreams if Democrats don't take back the Senate and the White House. Uh, and that's certainly not a guarantee. So I wanna know how effective you'd be if you're in the minority. Uh, pick an issue, tell me how you would move the needle with Republicans, Mr. Romanoff. Well, we just talked a little bit about healthcare, Ryan. Uh, and look, it is small businesses and families who are bearing the brunt of America's runaway healthcare costs. I've served in the minority before. In fact, I spent my first four years in the legislature before I led the team to our first majority in 30 years uh, in the minority. And don't get me wrong, it was more fun to be in charge. Uh, but I was able to pass more legislation as a freshman legislator than any other member of the Democratic caucus. I, I don't want to kid you here. Uh, I was a, one of the most effective legislative leaders in America, but I'm not a magician. I can't get Mitch McConnell to magically change his spots and see the light. Uh, a better approach, in my view, is to ditch Mitch. There's a hashtag for that uh, and an election for that in Kentucky. Uh, but when it comes to the cost of health care, I think we can forge an alliance between workers and businesses and recognize that America is paying too much for health care, twice as much as our competitors in other industrialized countries, and we're not getting outcomes that are twice as good. So I'd like to cut our medical bills in half and cover everyone and improve quality along the way. I think we can get from here to there. Mr. Hindlipur, this question of what you would do if you were in the minority, how you would move the needle on an issue you are passionate about. Well... I do reject the premise in terms of uh, uh, we're going to beat uh, Mitch McConnell, we're going to win the Senate, and we're going to defeat Donald Trump. But in the hypothetical, uh, let me talk just a little bit. We started talking about how to rebuild the economy. Uh, and when I came in as governor in 2011, we were in one of the worst budget crunches and, and one of the worst recessions in a century. Uh, we went out to every county, all 64 counties, and we worked together. We were 40th in job creation, and we made a commitment that we we're going to raise everyone up, not just the urban areas along the front range, but everyone. And we became, we went from 40th in job creation to the number one economy in the country, really through that collaborative effort. Uh, and so we're doing, we expanded healthcare, we were able to make real strides forward in climate change, but the collaborative spirit, which is the Colorado way, that's really what drove us to success. All right, let's move on to questions from Justin Wingerter. Justin? And we'll switch to healthcare, um, beginning with Mr. Hickenlooper. You've said on many occasions that you prefer adding a public option. Would your plan leave any Coloradans uninsured? No, and uh, I have said from the beginning of my adult life, uh, when I helped start a community health center in 1973 in Middletown, Connecticut, healthcare is a right, uh, it's not a privilege. And we've got to get to universal coverage. I think uh, Barack Obama built a great legacy uh, for this country in terms of the Affordable Care Act, but he didn't get to finish it. He designed it to be used with a, a public option. We didn't get to do that. We didn't get any of the improvements that, that he and his team had envisioned. Uh, obviously, we've got to expand coverage. We also have to control cost, and we have to find a, a way to allow our government, alone among industrialized nations, to negotiate for bulk discounts for Medicare. We also have to look at how can we expand uh, uh, generic drugs and, and drive costs down that way as well. Uh, transparency in clinics and hospitals. I mean, we've got to put all this together in a healthcare plan to control costs. 
Mr. Romanoff, you prefer Medicare for all plan. What would you say to those Coloradans who will lose the insurance that they like that they get through their employer? I've met a lot of Coloradans who liked their health insurance until they had to use it and they found out it didn't actually cover what they thought. I led the fight for mental health care in Colorado, as you know, Justin, uh, for the last four years as the president and CEO of Mental Health Colorado. And I've met so many folks across the state who have been devastated, not only by mental illness and drug addiction, but also by an industry that bases its profits on its ability to deny as many claims and exclude as many sick people as possible. That's the business model. And it is a great model if you're an insurance company. It's a pretty lousy model for the rest of us. Uh, so I don't want to wait for some slow evolution that eventually brings care to everyone. We need to act now. We have not only 28 million Americans uninsured and 44 million underinsured, half a million families in the richest nation on the face of the earth go bankrupt each year because they can't afford their medical bills. And at least 35,000 people in this nation are dying because they can't afford to see a doctor. That's immoral. It doesn't have to be this way, and it's not this way in other parts of the world. All right, gentlemen, we want to uh, ask each of you some some quick questions uh, to clarify your positions on several key issues. Both of you, please respond with a yes or no. Uh, we know in November, Coloradans will be asked to vote on several issues. So again, yes or no. Should Colorado prohibit abortion after 22 weeks of gestational age? Yes or no? No. No. Should Colorado increase taxes on tobacco? Yes. Yes. Do you support eliminating the Electoral College and electing the president by popular vote? Yes. I support popular vote, yes. Electing the president by popular vote? Yes. Yes. Electoral college? Uh, well, the, Eliminating the, the electoral college? Um, I support the popular vote. I, 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 that, that the, the initiative doesn't, I don't think, doesn't. Okay. Uh, Just wanted to clarify. <laughs> Do sorry. you favor a ban on all assault weapons, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Would you support a U.S. Senate resolution to make Juneteenth a federal holiday? Yes. Yes. Do you favor reparations as a way to address the wrongs of slavery in U.S. history? Yes. I support the study that's in the House, but definitely there have to be some sort of reparations. All right. All right. Let's get back to our panelists then. Thank you, gentlemen. Justin? Thank you. Um, there are calls from protesters to defund the police. What do those words mean to you, and what duties, if any, would you take away from police officers? I think Mr. Hickenlooper is up first. Sure. And the real issue here in police reform is holding police officers accountable. Now, when I first got elected mayor, I've talked a lot about Paul Childs, a 15-year-old African-American teenager who was shot in his own front hall. And I worked with the Mr. Alliance to create uh, Office of the Independent Monitor, uh, Civilian Oversight Commission, uh, uh, crisis de-escalation training for every officer. We went a long way, but we did not go far enough. And we've got to hold officers accountable. We've got to move on to that next step of uh, banning uh, chokeholds, making sure every officer has to wear uh, a body camera and keep it on. We've got to uh, get rid of the no-knock raids. Uh, this is all part of a, uh, of a concerted effort that can't stop with police reform. We've got to look at the inequity in, in our society is, is in healthcare, housing, ec economic opportunity. We've got to address all of that. Well, we need to shift resources from law enforcement to community services, including mental health. I met with the sheriff up in Boulder, Joe Pelley, who said, I run the largest mental hospital in my community. It's called the county jail. That cannot be the right approach. Turning our jails and prisons into warehouses for people who face mental illness or drug addiction 
is the single most expensive and least therapeutic decision we could make. Uh, we also need to make sure we understand why this movement for Black Lives Matter is so urgent, rooted in centuries of oppression and discrimination. And it's not enough to say Black Lives Matter when every single day we act as if they don't. African Americans in this country are more than two and a half times more likely to be killed by police officers than white Americans are. That's unacceptable, and it's why the murder of George Floyd is so painful, in part because it was not an isolated incident. I've laid out a plan at andrewromanoff.com to end police violence, including many of the steps we are going to talk about tonight. Uh, but it seems to me if we're serious about justice and equality for all, we ought to recognize we're nowhere near there yet. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, Ryan, next batch of questions. You mentioned George Floyd. The death of George Floyd has brought more attention to the police killings of people in color, of color in Colorado. I think of Devon Bailey in Colorado Springs, Elijah McLean in Aurora. And I want to ask you each about the McLean case. The 23-year-old was walking home from the store, stopped by police, put in a hold, sedated, and then died. Should his case be reopened? And explain your thinking. Mr. Romanoff? Uh, yes, it should be reopened. And look, this epidemic uh, of brutality uh, has persisted, not just in recent years, but for centuries. Uh, the reason that so many Americans, I think, are finally waking up to these problems is in part because some of these murders have been captured now on video. So when it comes to ending police violence, I think we ought to hold officers accountable, create a national database of police misconduct, impose, as the state legislature uh, is doing, a requirement on officers to intervene when other officers are committing misconduct, ban chokeholds and strangleholds, uh, pursue consent decrees, uh, and investigate rogue agencies uh, that are violating civil rights laws. There's a federal obligation here, too. We can't simply rely on the good graces of an individual police agency or even a state government uh, to solve this problem uh, because we have allowed <clears throat> it to persist for too long. And so to be very clear, you would reopen the McLean case. That's correct. Mr. Aikenlipper. Yes, I would reopen the McLean case. I agree with everything that Andrew said, and I think that it is a question of accountability and how do we get there. And We have to ban chokeholds and strangleholds and and, and make sure everyone has their camera turned on and, and, and ban no-knock rates. But we've got to get police officers accountable. And I, su I support the bill uh, that Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, has introduced. Um, and I'm proud to say that she endorsed our campaign. But she talks about using a different definition of appropriate force. And we've always used reasonable force, which can be twisted into all all sorts of, of, of situations to justify all kinds of actions. She's suggesting that we should uh, use necessary force, and that allows us to, to really hold officers to a much stricter form of accountability and make sure that there are consequences that match their, their, their deeds. Very quickly, we wanted to ask, do you think it's a good idea for Colorado to have a statewide independent police monitor? Yes, I do. Uh, look, part of our plan, again, you can find the details at AndrewRomanoff.com includes the formation of independent oversight bodies with the authority to hold police officers accountable. In some cases, that'll be conducted by, uh, at a local level, but I would support the same body existing at a state level. And Mr. Hickenlooper? Yes. Uh, you know, when, when I was mayor, we created one of the first offices of an independent monitor in the country. Not the first, but one of the first. And it clearly works. I think the Justice Department in Washington, one of the reasons I'm excited about going to Washington is to put some of these things into sy systemic 
enforcement. And having a statewide uh, uh, independent monitor makes tremendous sense, but only as it can help us get independent monitors in the communities where they're most needed. Thank you. All right, gentlemen, why should people of color vote for you when you both have years as elected officials here in Colorado? <clears throat> How could you have better affected change over those years? Uh, Mr. Hickenlooper, you're first. Yes. Uh, and I mentioned already that when I was elected and Paul Childs was shot in his front hall, he was, he was holding a, 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 a knife up as if it was a candle in church. And a Denver police officer shot him four times in the chest. As with Elijah McClain, no mother should ever have to go to the, to the funeral of their child. And we took this seriously. We, we provided not all types of alternative uh, uses for police to, in their training. Uh, you know, I had a remarkable man, uh, Al LaCabe, who was a, I made him the public safety, He'd grown up in the projects of New Orleans. Uh, and he worked at changing the discipline matrix. And we got there so that if you, you know, if someone lied on a, about an incident, they could be fired first time, but we didn't get far enough. And I, I regret that to this day on all those reform issues, we didn't get far enough at the time. Thank you. Mr. Romanoff? We wouldn't be here, uh, John and Corey and I, if not for the privilege we hold. And we ought to recognize that, that the three finalists for the U.S. Senate all happen to be white men. It's no accident. It's in part because of America's original and persistent sin, the sin of racial injustice. The reason so many people of color have endorsed our campaign, uh, including Tay Anderson, uh, the Denver school board member who is leading the fight for racial justice here in Denver, uh, and Crisanta Duran, uh, the first Latina to serve as the speaker of any state house, uh, and 400 other elected officials across the state, is because they recognize my deep commitment uh, to civil rights. I started my career in many ways at the Southern Poverty Law Center when I moved to Montgomery, Alabama to join the fight against the Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazi groups. I designed and supervised an undercover investigation of employment discrimination for a state civil rights agency. I will continue to surround myself with people who bring different perspectives and different experiences and remind me that I don't have the answer to every question. Well, and on that note, let me ask you both. Have you had a conversation with people who protested the death of George Floyd? But speak to us now, not as a politician, but as a, a person here. What did you learn about yourself? from what we are going through right now. Mr. Romanoff, you first. I'm, I've not only spoken to folks who are protesting the murder of George Floyd, I participated in those protests myself as recently as this weekend for an early Juneteenth celebration. And hard to celebrate when we recognize, as I learned, uh, that we have so far to go. Uh, you know, this nation was founded, in the words of Tenehisi Coates, on the torture of black fathers, the rape of black mothers, and the sale of black children. That's one of the reasons these protests are so urgent and the pain is so deep. I recognize I have not done enough. Despite the work I did at the Southern Poverty Law Center and a state civil rights agency, uh, despite my efforts to ban racial profiling as a member of the state legislature or to increase the enforcement of our civil rights laws by boosting funding for the Colorado Division of Civil Rights, it's pretty clear that I have not done enough, that none of us has done enough, and that our obligation should entail continued efforts, not just to put more laws on the books, but actually to enforce them as well. So that's what you learned about yourself, is that you haven't done enough? Absolutely. Okay. Mr. Hakenlooper? So I also went to, uh, I went to just a protest uh, last week with my son. Um, we were separate, um, and I stayed to the perimeter. But we, we did nail, kneel for 
eight minutes and 46 seconds. And that is a profoundly long period of time when you're in such a solemn occasion with a thousand other people also kneeling um, and recognizing that, that, that that process of kneeling took George Floyd's life. I am overwhelmed by uh, the places where we, we had tried to address the disparity in maternal uh, mortality and infant mortality is double in, in the black community than it is in the white community. Uh, but I felt that, that I just hadn't done enough, that I, that I hadn't pushed myself and my team to, to get as much done as we should have. Right, gentlemen, thank you. We want to get to another quick yes or no round. So should doctors have legal protection if they refuse to treat transgender patients, yes or no? No. No. We're waiting on the Supreme Court to decide the future of DACA. Should DACA dreamers be given citizenship, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Do you favor increasing Social Security benefits? Yes. Cautiously. John Hickenlooper and Andrew Romanoff, the two Democrats vying to oust incumbent Republican Cory Gardner from the U.S. Senate. This primary debate was produced by CPR News in conjunction with Denver 7, the Denver Post, and DU. And our reprise of the debate continues in the next half hour with immigration policy, a question from a listener about kids in cages. And we ask the candidates to get specific on climate change. I'm Ryan Morner. You're with Colorado Matters from CPR News. The biggest story of 2020 was supposed to be the election. Well, 2020 had other plans. But the elections are still going on. I'm News Director Rachel Estabrook, and more than a thousand of you helped guide our reporting at CPR News ahead of the presidential primary. Now we're asking you to do it again. Fill out a short survey online about what matters to you this election year. You'll help decide what CPR News asks candidates in the weeks and months ahead. Find the survey at CPR.org slash Colorado 2020. We co-hosted Tuesday night's Democratic U.S. Senate primary debate, the only in-person debate and the last one before Democrats and unaffiliateds cast their ballots June 30th. Andrew Romanoff and John Hickenlooper both hope to run against incumbent Republican Cory Gardner in the general. Alongside me to quiz the candidates, Justin Wingerter of the Denver Post and Andrew Hio of Denver 7. This question right now, gentlemen, is for both candidates from a Denver 7 viewer named Krista De La Garza, and she asks, what is your stance on ICE? How will you help end the human rights crisis that immigrants are facing in our state and this country? And what will you do to end the era of children in cages? Mr. Romanoff? Well, I believe we should dismantle ICE and assign its unlawful responsibilities to more appropriate departments like the Department of Justice. I participated in protests outside the GEO facility in Aurora, the city where I live, uh, and it is horrific uh, to watch so many folks, not just in Colorado, but across the country, uh, see their families torn apart and, as you said, and their children caged. Uh, none of these policies should come as a surprise. When Donald Trump descended the escalator in his tower to demonize uh, Mexicans as rapists and criminals, 
to describe asylum as a hoax, to declare the country full. None of the policies that have followed should surprise anyone. But to be clear, the reason this president has been able to inflict so much damage on this country is in part because he finds allies like Cory Gardner at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, Senate Republicans who refuse to whisper even a word of dissent against this president's racism and immoral conduct. Thank you. Mr. Hickenlooper? Yes, ICE has been a miserable failure. They have taken a, a very difficult situation and made it into a crisis. Uh, I think we've got to immediately uh, deal with the humanitarian crisis on our southern border uh, and make sure that the resources are there to, uh, again, deal with people humanely uh, and, and make sure that they are not separated from their families, uh, torn away from their mothers or fathers, put in cages or detention facilities. It's not American. It's, it's, it's the worst representation I've ever seen of this country uh, to the rest of the world. Uh, I think we also have to recognize that ICE has become a menace in many of our cities. Uh, they try to compel the, the police to do their work for them and, and alienate the police from their local citizens. Uh, very, very challenging situation for, for many of us. And Trump and Cory Gardner continue to promote this. Well, would you both be in favor of uh, eliminating ICE? Just a yes or no. Yes. I'm not trying to eliminate it. I, I think I would uh, reform it dramatically. Thank you. Sorry. All right. This Should next question that. is for both candidates. Comes to us from a CPR listener named Claudia. During your tenure as United States Senator, what specific actions will you take to arrest climate change sooner rather than later? Well, I would start by ending the subsidies we provide for oil and gas and coal. Uh, we're spending about $650 billion a year in direct and indirect subsidies for the fossil fuel industry. We're effectively paying for pollution. I'd rather put that money towards solar and wind and other renewables. But if we're going to take that step, we also have to stop the fossil fuel industry from subsidizing Congress. Uh, at our debate last week, I challenged Mr. Hickenlooper to join me in rejecting contributions from the fossil fuel industry, turning down, in other words, the hundreds of thousands of dollars he's accepted over the years from oil and gas executives and their lobbyists. I know Cory Gardner hasn't taken that step. In fact, he is the second biggest beneficiary of fossil fuel money in the entire United States Congress. And it's no surprise, Senator Gardner sits on the Energy and Net Natural Resources Committee. So those industries have an interest in paying for his campaigns. The trouble is all of us get the bill. We've got to break this unholy alliance between the fossil fuel industry and the lawmakers who are supposed to be regulating it. Thank you. Mr. Hickenlooper, same question to you. Well, first, let me say that I've, uh, we take no corporate PAC money of any kind, not from the oil and gas industry, for anybody. So just so we keep that perfectly clear, uh, I view climate change as the single largest existential threat this planet's ever faced. I think we've got to have a fierce urgency. I've been working on it for, for 40 years since I got a master's in 1979. I think we need to do a lot of what we started in Colorado, closing coal plants and not using coal to create electricity, uh, creating transitions to electric vehicles, uh, fugitive emissions. We've got to capture all fugitive emissions. Methane is 80 times more harmful than CO2 to climate change. But we also have to look at the opportunities that come from innovation and agriculture and industry. When we try to cut those emissions, how do we make that sure that we're getting the maximum benefit from those innovations? Because I think what's going to happen, it's not going to break the bank. I want to go to Washington. This is one of the, I want to change Washington around climate change and actually get things done, bring people together and focus on the opportunities and the outcomes of how we can grow our economy 
and get a cleaner energy economy at the same time? I, I didn't actually hear an answer to the question I posed, so I'll try a third time. It's not just the corporate PAC money, <laughs> Mr. Aikenlooper, I'm asking you to turn down. It's the contributions you take from fossil fuel executives and their lobbyists. And if you're serious about changing Washington, we've got to start by changing the way we finance our campaigns. Will you join me in that effort? Well, Andrew, the, the bottom line is that you've taken uh, contributions from oil and gas, uh, people that work for them. And in 2014, I'm not aware that you gave them all back. I mean, there are, we've had over 100,000 donations. I'm sure there's a computer that we can do to, do that, to, to figure out uh, who this, those people are. But I guarantee you the number of oil and gas industries that are supporting me Remember, I'm the one that, that got the oil and gas industry, compelled them to create methane regulations. They're spending $60 million a year. I'm not sure I'm their, their, their favorite son. All right, gentlemen, we're going to move on for this next round. Thank you. Uh, each panelist will spend some time asking questions to one candidate. So we're going to start with Ryan Warner and Mr. Hickenlooper. Thanks, Ann. So, Mr. Hickenlooper, a uh, 2014 video of you surfaced Monday, light, likening the life of a politician to the life of a slave with whips and ships. Uh, more recently, you were asked what Black Lives Matter means, and you answered with All Lives Matter. And during the last debate, you referred to George Floyd's shooting. Are you out of touch with this moment in America? Well, let me say that the comments I made in 2014 uh, caused pain, and, and I deeply regret them, and I have apologized for them. Uh, and I've, I've stepped on my own words around Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. There is a time where we have to step back and recognize that, that, that slavery is a nagging, persistent shame of this country that's, that's denied the promise of equality for far too long to too many people. And it's not just in police reform. It's in housing. It's in Healthcare. Look at COVID-19 and how many, how disproportionately African Americans were were stricken. Uh, it, it's around education outcomes. It's around jobs and opportunity. I want to go to Washington and I want to be part of the group that changes Washington and actually makes this country what its values say it should be, equal under the law. I'd like to take a question from a CPR listener now for you, Mr. Hickenlooper. This is John Alfeld of Denver. Why? was running for the U.S. Senate, your second choice. Thank you. Uh, there's no question that I have uh, bad-mouthed the U.S. Senate as a place that's broken and for people who want to get things done, uh, a, a difficult challenge. But at a certain point, you, you have to decide whether you're going to be content to sit on the sidelines or you want to, you want to get in the ring with the, the mud and the sweat, as Teddy Roosevelt said, and be part of the change. And I want to go to Washington and be someone who can change, not just the Senate, but, but change Washington. And I want to be, I want to be able to deal, address climate change aggressively and, and comprehensively. I want to deal with the education challenges we have. I want to deal with social and, and racial justice. Uh, and to do that, again, we've got to get Mitch McConnell out of the majority seat. I've got to beat Cory Gardner. I can't wait to beat Cory Gardner. I'm I'm so ready to do this. I'm more passionate about this than any campaign I've ever had in my life. I'd like to follow up because in January, you told me, speaking of a Senate run, uh, this was January of 2019, you said, quote, most senators don't become even the vice chair of a reasonably important committee until your third term. 
Do those comments mean that you don't think you'd get much done early on? No, just the opposite. Uh, I don't have any illusions that I'm going to suddenly become the chair, and that's not my goal. What I did when I was a mayor, what I did when I was a governor, what I did when I was a small business owner building restaurants in an abandoned warehouse district in Denver, I was able to get people together who often didn't like each other and get them to, to find common ground and create compromise. You know, I learned in the, in the restaurant business that you know, I've never changed anybody's mind about anything that mattered by telling them why I was right and why they're wrong. Where you get progress is when you hear people. In, in the restaurant business, we repeat back their exact words when they're angry so they feel validated. And that's how we got uh, the oil and gas industry to work with the environmental community to create the first methane regulations in the country, rolled out as national policy in Canada and the United States until, until you know, President Trump and Cory Gardner's support rolled it back. That's what I want to do. I want to bring people together and change Washington and the Senate. Thank you, Mr. Hickenlooper. All right, let's move on. Justin Wingerter and asking Mr. Romanoff questions now. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Romanoff, you have not held office in a dozen years, and you have lost your last two elections. Do you want political power more than Coloradans want you? <laughs> well, I guess people will have to decide that pretty soon. Look, there are plenty of ways to make a difference outside of office. I spent the last four years, as I mentioned earlier, as the president and CEO of a group called Mental Health Colorado, fighting for families just like mine who have suffered from mental illness or drug addiction or suicide. I took that job, as you know, Justin, because I lost someone I loved very much uh, in my life to suicide uh, five years ago. One of the things I learned outside of public office is that all the laws in the world are useless uh, unless you actually enforce them. And I'll just give you one quick example. I'm proud to have voted for laws that require insurance companies to provide equal coverage for mental health and physical care. But that law doesn't work right now because too often people who face a mental health or substance use disorder are forced to go out of network more often, wait longer, travel farther, pay more, or go without care altogether. Uh, that's not just wrong, it's literally illegal. And I want to have a hand in fixing that problem inside the U.S. Senate, just as I've tried to do in Colorado. Thank you. Uh, the seat is very important to Democrats, though. I mean, considering your track record, why should Democrats think you can win in November? Well, I'm proud to have led the Democrats in Colorado to our first majority in 30 years, our first back-to-back -back majorities since 1960. That's how I became Speaker of the House and got recognized as one of the most effective legislative leaders in America. It's true that I'm not the darling of Washington. I don't have these power brokers or party bosses in D.C. on my side. But as I mentioned earlier, we've earned endorsements now from about 400 county commissioners, mayors, school board members, city council members, and legislators. And not all of them are Democrats. Uh, you can't win a race like this or represent a state like ours just by preaching to the choir. Some of the endorsements that make me proudest in this race come from the other side of the aisle. Uh, the minority leader of the House, a Republican from Parker named Mike May, sent me a text not long after I joined this race. He said, my wife and I would like to support your campaign for the US Senate. I said, well, thanks, Mike, but um, I'm a Democrat. I just wanted to remind him. And he said, I know that. Uh, but then he said this, my country matters more than my party, and we would be honored to call you our senator. We're going to win this race by building a coalition just like that. In 2003, you co-sponsored a resolution in the legislature that praised President George W. Bush for launching the Iraq war. Can you explain your reasoning? Well, that's actually not just what the resolution did. It certainly praised the commander-in-chief's uh, leadership. It also thanked the troops for their sacrifice and uh, for their service. Uh, and the, that invasion clearly was a mistake. Uh, the legislature didn't have the authority uh, to send troops into harm's way, but we did have an obligation, at least as 
uh, the legislature sought uh, to recognize the sacrifice that our troops were making and to send that message to Washington. That resolution said Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Did they? No. Republicans say you are a socialist who wants to drastically <laughs> increase the size of government. Are they wrong? <laughs> it's not just Republicans who are making that attack. It's my friend uh, John Hickenlooper on the stage. Look, this is the kind of tired demagoguery that has set our country back for decades. Uh, the Republicans made the same attacks on Harry Truman when he proposed a national health insurance plan back in 1945. They repeated those attacks 20 years later when Medicare and Medicaid were signed into law. They certainly repeated the same attacks when President Obama initiated the Affordable Care Act, and even now when we're trying to negotiate deeper discounts in the price of pharmaceuticals. We're not going to beat Cory Gardner simply by parroting his talking points. What we ought to do instead is make the case for health care for all, for an economy that works for everyone. And we ought to challenge those, Democrats and Republicans, who demonize these plans by asking them what they would make of Medicare itself, or Social Security, or public education, or infrastructure. Those are places where we've decided, as a country, that we ought to invest our scarce resources in a public sector. I think that makes you an American. Would your policies increase the size and role of government? Well, in the case of the climate crisis, I think we're spending too much right now on pollution. I mentioned earlier the need to cut the subsidies we're providing for oil and gas and coal. In the case of healthcare, I think we're spending too much money subsidizing the for-profit insurance and drug companies. I want to actually cut our nation's healthcare bill in half. And I'll just pause on this point because there's a real difference in this race, not just in the general election where I'm hoping to face Cory Gardner, but in the primary as well. There are not a lot of politicians outside of the United States tonight campaigning on a promise to bring their constituents American-style health insurance. And it's not because we don't have some of the best doctors and nurses and facilities in the world. We do. It's because the system itself is not the most efficient. So the plan I support, the same plan that Cory Gardner and John Hickenlooper and the insurance industry oppose, would strengthen Medicare by adding benefits for dental and vision and hearing and long-term care, increase reimbursement rates, especially for rural providers, and then lower the age of Medicare eligibility to zero. That, to my mind, is the best way to get to universal coverage. Former Speaker of the Colorado House Andrew Romanoff in conversation there with the Denver Post's Justin Wingerter, part of Tuesday night's Democratic U.S. Senate primary debate. And there's more after a break. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. CPR is funded by our community of active members, and that means a lot to us here at Colorado Public Radio. What I love is this reciprocal impact that in turn, it makes us want to do our jobs better and just even be better stewards of the money entrusted to us. It means the world to me that we are funded by listeners. I'm membership director Jason Moore. We're so grateful for your support. Thank you for making the statewide service possible. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. And at the end of this month, we will know which Democrat goes on to face Republican U.S. Senator Cory Gardner in the fall. The June 30th primary is between former Speaker of the Colorado House Andrew Romanoff and former Governor John Hickenlooper. And Trujillo and I asked them questions along with this voice, Justin Wingerter of the Denver Post, who next has a one-on-one with Hickenlooper. Mr. Hickenlooper, our first question is from Lee Ellison in Thornton. Over the last three and a half years, we have had a lot of issues with officials at the federal level 
simply refusing to comply with requests or even subpoenas for information from Congress in order for them to manage accountability. That's why I was really taken aback when you refused to comply with a subpoena from the Ethics Commission. Why did you think it was okay to do that? And do you think that you are above the law? Thank you. Uh, as you know, these were trips that I took uh, while I was governor uh, promoting Colorado. I traveled anywhere and everywhere. Uh, I had offered to come testify fully and openly in front of the commission in person for a number of months. I uh, wrote a formal letter in, I believe it was December. Uh, I was scheduled to testify uh, in person in March and then was uh, at the last minute uh, canceled due to COVID-19. Uh, I felt that my rights to due process as constitutionally were more fair if I could testify in front of people with my attorney in the same room. And we, I was thinking we could wait another month. Uh, so we appealed, uh, again, uh, exercising constitutional rights. And the moment that we saw that their, their subpoena was upheld, uh, I came in the next day. I testified. Uh, I was in front of that commission for three hours and answered every question openly. And they did find me in violation for two issues. One was, uh, you know, driving, flying. Just as a follow-up question, sir, uh, you complain about the virtual format, but criminal defendants in this state use that format every day when their own freedom is at stake. Why, why do you play by a different set of rules? Uh, well, I wasn't intentionally uh, trying to play by a different set of rules, uh, and I was unaware of that. that I, I thought the preliminary hearings were being done by video. So that's a fair point. Uh, and I certainly uh, regret uh, having, ca having caused the disruption in the time and, and you know, it, was, it had to come in a second day. The bottom line is, what, the point I'd like to make is that these were allegations from a dark money Republican group that was formed two days before they made the allegations. Of the, of the 57 allegations, two were found to be violations. As I started to say, one was uh, a, a trip for economic development where I paid the airfare, the hotel. I thought all the meals, but evidently there were some meals I missed in ground transportation. And then the christening of the USS uh, Colorado. I take responsibility for these two violations. I respect the ethics committee. But again, remember, these are dark money attacks by Republicans who are going to attack me or whoever the Democrat uh, candidate is. Well, they're not going to attack me for breaking the state ethics law because I didn't. And I didn't defy a subpoena. I didn't get held in contempt. And I don't hold myself Thank you, Mr. Uh, Romanoff. above the law. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's move on to Ryan Warner, Mr. Romanoff. You support the Green New Deal, and the outline of that legislation guarantees any American a job who wants a job. Why is that the government's role? Well, it is the goal, goal of the government, in my view at least, to combat the mass unemployment that's ravaging our country. 40 million Americans out of work already, perhaps 50 million by the time we hit rock bottom uh, during this economic downturn. So yes, I want to make sure that people have the jobs they need to support their families and pay their bills. We can do that if we're willing to take some inspiration from the original New Deal. FDR, after all, created a civilian conservation corps. We need a climate conservation corps, a modern CCC, to help us build a clean energy infrastructure, combat the climate crisis. Not all of these jobs, to your point, Ryan, are going to come from the public sector, uh, but it seems to me we have an opportunity uh, made necessary by this pandemic to lift our country out of the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Uh, and that's going to take bold leadership. Baby steps are not going to do the trick. It's one of the reasons I support the Green New Deal, and I'm disappointed that both Cory Gardner 
and John Hickenlooper oppose it. You also support Medicare for all, uh, but the presidential candidates who championed that lost the primary. Vice President Joe Biden, like Mr. Hickenlooper, wants to build on the existing Affordable Care Act. So help me understand, even if Democrats gain control of the Senate and the White House, how does Medicare for all happen? In part because we actually present leadership in the U.S. Senate. Look, the Vice President has already adjusted his position on this issue. Vice President Biden has suggested he would be willing to lower the age of Medicare eligibility to 60. I'd like to take it down to zero. It's true, that won't happen as long as we elect folks, Democrats or Republicans, who oppose this plan. And I recognize this transition is not going to take place overnight, uh, but it will never take place as long as the insurance industry and the drug companies continue to bankroll Congress and block reform. I'd like to be part of changing this system. I've met so many folks across Colorado who are struggling and suffering and losing their loved ones, their savings, their homes, their jobs, uh, at a time when we should be able to say to them, your health insurance should not depend on your job, especially if you're forced to lose your job or change a job or you want to start a new business of your own. Your health insurance should come with you. Uh, that's the advantage of a program like Medicare for All. The time is flying by. We have agreed to give each candidate 60 seconds for closing statements. Now's the time for that. So, Mr. Romanoff, we will start with you. I want to say, first of all, thank you for giving us the opportunity to share some thoughts with you tonight. Uh, look, this is a job no one is entitled to hold. It's the kind of job you have to earn. I'm trying to do that one phone call, one Zoom conversation, one candidate forum at a time. We can't knock on doors during this pandemic, but we have built a broad grassroots campaign. You're welcome to join at andrewromanoff.com. We don't have the most money in this race, but there is something profoundly broken about a system that simply sells Senate seats to the highest bidder. As long as we continue to do that, to put public offices up for sale to some of the nation's most powerful special interest groups. We will narrow the pool of candidates who run, narrow the pool who win, and warp the decisions they make as a result. Our campaign is built on a set of progressive values and my support for a Green New Deal, for Medicare for All, for an economy that works for everyone. We need to reform our broken immigration system, reduce gun violence and this problem of police brutality, and change the way we finance campaigns themselves. Thank you, Mr. Hickenlooper. Well, thank you for tonight. And, and these are tough times, but Colorado's always been up to the test. When I was governor, we, we faced natural disasters, uh, mass shootings, uh, the Great Recession. But by working together, we always, we always came together and, and we built back better than we were before. Uh, we went from 40th in job creation to the number one economy in the country. Now the dysfunction in Washington has created has helped to create the, the worst pandemic and the worst recession in a century. If we want to change healthcare, if we want to tackle uh, climate change, if we want to create jobs with justice, if we want to build back better than we were before, we have to change Washington. We have to. Now, Cory Gardner has shown by supporting Donald Trump 100% of the time, he's not going to do it. But I believe together, working together, you and I can. So, Mark out your ballot and make sure you get it into the mail as quick as you can. Closing statements from John Hickenlooper and Andrew Romanoff in our Democratic U.S. Senate primary debate. The discussion continued delving into fracking and faith. You can hear or watch that at CPR.org. And thanks to my colleagues at Denver 7, the Denver Post and the University of Denver.
And that's Colorado Matters for today. Thanks to the team that brings this show to air. Carl Bielek. Andrea Dukakis. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Michael Hughes. Avery Lill. Alexandra McMahon. Patrice Mondragon. Natasha Watts. And I'm Ryan Warner. You can get Colorado Matters anytime on demand. Just ask your smart speaker to play the podcast Colorado Matters. We're on Twitter at Colorado Matters. I'm at CPR Warner. This is CPR News.